0: Good morning. We're going to get started here. Um, if you want to turn with me to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, we're going to be in verses 12 through 20 this morning. Galatians 4, 12 through 20. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to read it. I'm reading from the HCSB. <clears throat> I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a physical illness. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What happened to this sense of being blessed you had? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are not enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so that you will be enthusiastic about them. Now, it is always good to be enthusiastic about good, and not just when I am with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us through another week and back into your house uh, as a congregation to worship you, to praise you, to look on the glory of Christ corporately. I pray that this morning we would store up your word in our heart um, so that we wouldn't sin against you, I pray that we would, uh, as we look at this text this morning, that we would see what your Spirit would have us learn, and that our discussion, uh, we would sharpen one another as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we um, can be better conformed to his image. Please help me this morning as I I teach. Uh, We love you and we thank you for this word that is indeed life-giving, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So this morning, we're kind of coming to a unique section of Galatians, Uh, The past few weeks we've been looking at how Paul's defending the gospel against false teaching uh, that has been occurring in the local church in Galatia. As Doug put it in the very first week of this book, you know, Paul is really defending uh, the value and the greatness of Jesus, uh, because if you add or subtract anything from the gospel, you end up diminishing Christ and his work. And that's what we've been seeing. Paul has been vigorously defending his apostleship uh, in chapters one and two, and then in chapter three, and so far in chapter 4, he's been laying out uh, that the Old Testament promise of God's blessing through faith, not through the law, uh, is still, still holds and that going back to the law is going back into bondage. But in our passage this morning, it's sort of a transition point. I, I think it's kind of a transition point from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. And really, Paul's going to um, turn to a more personal note. I think this, these uh, verses before us this morning are really the most personal we will see Paul in this entire letter. Um, he's going to take a pause from uh, clarifying doctrine and instead turn to a more personal address to the Galatian church. And I think what's unique about this section is it really gives context to the rest of the book. It really helps us see Paul's heart towards the church that he's correcting. And it really helps us see Paul's heart in ministry in general. Uh, it, it, we're not going to get a lot of high doctrine here. It's really going to be um, Paul expressing his his pain that uh, the, the church is leaving Christ and turning to a false teaching. And, and I think seeing Paul's heart this morning is really helpful for us um, because... Uh, We all interact with Christians that may or may not be struggling in sanctification, um, whether it's a spouse or kids or a fellow church member. If you're living with a fellow believer, if you're discipling them, if you're pouring your life into them, there are going to be times when you're inevitably hurt, um, depending on whether they fall into sin or they um, leave the truth. And and so I think Paul's attitude towards the church is very instructive for us this morning. I think it's a very encouraging passage Um, and especially verse 19. I'm really probably going to try to spend most of my time in verse 19, because really I think if if you just took verse 19 as a statement, my children, I'm suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. You really have a great picture of how Paul views ministry, and I think it's instructive for us for what true Christian ministry is. But first, uh, Paul sort of lays out uh, how the Galatian church uh, in the past related to him. Then he describes how they're interacting with him now. And then finally he's going to clarify his own heart for the church. So those are sort of the headings we're going to go through this morning. Um, the Galatians' past reaction to Paul, their present uh, interaction with Paul, and then Paul's heart towards the church. So uh, first how Galatia, how Paul interacted with the Galatians in the past that starts in verse 12. I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of physical illness. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What happened to this sense of blessedness you had? For I testify that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So again, Paul is going to remi- starts out by reminding the Galatians uh, what their relationship was like in the past, and, and I think Paul probably has a couple goals in mind. First, Paul's contrasting the way the Galatians behaved towards him in the past with how they're interacting, how the false teachers are encouraging the church to treat Paul now. Again, if you look at verse um, 16, he actually says, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? so it seems that the false teachers are stirring up uh bad feelings in the church towards Paul but that wasn't always the case as we see in the verses in verses 12 through 15 but also i think in this very personal section paul's going to paul has just finished really going at the galatians he's really been rather dogmatic at them with all the doctrine and the truth and correcting them. And I think in verse 12 through 15, he he sort of reminds them of where their relationship started. sort of reminds them of the good times when they first received the gospel when he first preached to them. And again, he's trying to remind them that he has a genuine affection and care for them, in contrast to the false teachers. We're going to see that in the next section. But Paul really does care for this church. He's not just blasting them with doctrine because he enjoys doing that. He wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth as they previously received it in the past. So again, Paul wants to remind the Galatians of how the relationship was in the past so their affections can be rekindled. And you see that from the first phrase here, I beg you, brothers. Uh, Your translation might have, I beseech you, I entreat you, I urge you. Paul's not issuing a cold command here. He's making an emotional appeal to the church. And and you can see that because he uses the term brothers. You know, in in the past he's used terms like, Oh foolish Galatians, who who has bewitched you? Uh, Very harsh language because they're holding to false doctrine. But now he addresses them as brothers. He addresses them as part of the family of God. And he's using this intimate term um, to stir up their affections. And what he says is, become like me, for I became like you. And this is exactly what Paul has been trying to do through the entire epistle. He wants to bring the Galatian church back to the true gospel, to the true fellowship with believers, uh, not to this false works-based gospel that they've been listening to. Uh, Become like me is sort of a softer way of saying, return to the true gospel that I've been preaching to you, that I've been, uh, I want you to imitate me in, in holding to this doctrine. Paul is asking them to imitate him, especially, I think, in the context of the book, imitate him in the doctrine that he's teaching, uh, to become like Christ and saying, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. Whatever was gained to me in the law, I now consider loss. That's what he's really saying here, become like me. And so he, he 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 sweetens it by saying again you haven 't wronged me, become like me for I became like you. you have not wronged me paul's not saying i 'm holding a personal grudge against you because you 're rejecting this gospel he, he really does want them to come back to the truth he 's not concerned with merely restoring the relationship between him and the church uh, he 's inviting them to reject the false teachers and hold to the truth, and uh, he says I also became like you. And, and this is a reminder of how he previously preached the gospel to the Galatians. Paul says he became like them. If you remember in 1 Corinthians um, 9, uh, Paul says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews, to those under the law, like one under the law, to those without the law, like one without the law. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may become a partner in its benefit. So Paul sort of—I—I Paul uses similar language here, and I think what he's really saying is that's why I was doing to you Galatians when I came to you. Um, I was denying my own preferences. I was denying myself to bring you the gospel, uh, like he says in First Corinthians nine. That's how he did ministry. He, uh, when he says I became like those under the law to win those under the law, he's not saying he's compromising on truth or he's trying to m- change the truth to become more relevant. I think what he's saying there is he he's re- trying to remove any personal barriers when he's bringing the gospel. He doesn't want uh, himself to become a barrier to the people he's preaching to. And Paul says, you know, when he says, I became like you, he's saying, that's exactly how I came to you, Galatians. I I didn't let myself get in the way in preaching the gospel. Uh, He lovingly and sacrificially uh, came and preached the gospel to the Galatians. And verse 13 is interesting because he says it it wasn't even in the most ideal of circumstances. Verse 13, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a physical illness. That word physical illness, um, it just means weakness of the flesh. There's no specifics given. Um, he, the, Paul's point isn't to describe the illness because the Galatians knew what that illness was. His point is that uh, that physical illness had had some effect on their relationship when they first met. I find it interesting, this word because of physical illness, um, that, that word has a causal factor. So that means for somehow him having a physical illness caused him to have time to preach the gospel to the Galatians. Um, and I think the best way to take this is at some point in his ministry, Paul was detained for some time in the regions of Galatia because he was sick, and he leveraged that opportunity to bring the gospel to them. So he leveraged the time he was sick, stuck in uh, the Galatia region to preach the gospel to them. So, so what that means is Paul preached the gospel to the Galatians when he was not at his best. In fact, he goes on to say uh, it was a trial for the Galatians. Uh, I, I don't know uh, if you've ever tried to like preach or teach when you're sick, but certainly it's, it's difficult. It's not as easy as when your mind's sharp and you're feeling great. So Paul, in, in the context, when he first met the Galatians, he wasn't at his best. He was, he was still preaching the gospel to them, but he had this physical illness, and he even says that they had the potential to despise or reject him because of it. That word for despise means to esteem lowly, and reject literally means to spit out. (laughs) So very vivid words here. Uh, And I think it's helpful to remember in Paul's time, uh, people dealt with disease very differently than we do in, in our time. You know, certain diseases were completely quarantined, like leprosy, for example, and it was actually common in the culture to view disease as a sign of divine judgment. You see that when you read Job, you know, Job's suffering. The first thing the, the, the friends of Job think is, oh, God's judging you for some sin. That was a very common way of thinking. So you have those two aspects, you know, in the the time, typically you would isolate someone sick, and then you would probably view him as someone who's sinning and having divine judgment on them. Um, So that's sort of the stigma Paul was facing when he comes to the Galatians and he's sick. I was trying to think of like, what's the... What's the closest analogy to the isolation maybe in the culture? It's pro- pr- if you think back to when COVID first started. Um, if you got anywhere close to someone with COVID, you were told like isolate yourself, go away. We don't want to see you for like three weeks, you know. Um, and that that's probably the closest you can get to what Paul, uh, what the culture did at this time. You know, you're isolated, you're cut off from society, you're treated uh, more poorly because of your sickness. And Paul says the church didn't do that with him. They didn't reject him, and they didn't uh, isolate him because he was sick, and they didn't despise him because he was sick. Um, and Again, I think that's, that's pointing to, even though the Galatians were in a culture where typically you would reject someone who was sick because uh, maybe you think they have divine judgment being poured out on the, them, the Galatian churches received him in a completely different way. Instead of distancing themselves from Paul, they, Paul says, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Um, you remember in, in Matthew 10, Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me and him who sent me. Uh, and then in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes his ministry as being an ambassador to Christ, God making his appeal through him. So the Galatian church saw that, and they actually received Paul as a messenger of God. They received his message with with joy. And in verse 15, it even says that they experienced a sense of blessedness. Um, This word for blessedness only appears here and in Romans 4, where Paul talks about the blessedness David writes about when he talks about justification apart from works. Uh, so, so I think Paul, Paul's really saying here that instead of despising me and rejecting me because of my illness, instead of viewing me as some sort of person under God's divine judgment, you heard this message and you received it with joy and you cared for me and you showed love for me. He, as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself, they valued Paul, they valued his ministry, uh, that they even, in, in verse uh, 15, he says, if it was possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. I think Paul's really using some hyperbole here to emphasize just how much they were willing to give to Paul at this this moment. Um, They were willing to take drastic action on behalf of Paul. Uh, They were even, eyes obviously are, are super valuable to you and I, that's how we see. So the idea that they would part with them on behalf of Paul is really pointing to when Paul first showed up with to, uh, to the Galatian church, they had a fierce, zealous love for him. Uh, even though he was not at his best, even though culturally they could have rejected him, they were willing to show him love uh, and receive him as a messenger of Christ. So that was, that was where they were at historically in the past. When they first met with Paul, they, they loved him. They received his message with joy. They received him as an angel of the Lord. But then something changed, and that's what you sort of see in verse 16 and 18. Now have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, that is the false teachers, are not enthusiastic about you. No, they are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so that you will be enthusiastic about them. Now it is always good to be enthusiastic about good, and not only when I am with you. So before they would have given Paul anything. The Galatians would have pointed with their own eyes, uh, so to speak. But now they're viewing this this man who was their friend, who brought them the truth, the gospel, they're viewing him as an enemy. And as we've heard multiple times as we've gone through Galatians and 2 Corinthians, at this time in history, if you wanted to attack the, the gospel, if you wanted to attack the church, you would go after Paul and the apostleship of Paul, because at this point the canon is still being developed. So the best way these false teachers who are coming to the Galatians, the best thing they can do to get the church to listen to them is to attack Paul and to attack his credibility, and that's exactly what they've done. I think Paul implies here that they're somewhat successful in stirring up this church to view Paul as an enemy, and and this must have hurt Paul tremendously. Uh, And and, and you see that when he says, "I testify uh, that I." that you would have given your own lies for me, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul has only ever brought these people the truth. He's brought them the truth in the past. In this epistle, he's clarifying to them the truth of the gospel. And yet, because they're listening to these false teachers, to the lies and the false doctrine, they're viewing Paul as an enemy, What's interesting, and Paul's pointing out, is these false teachers don't actually have any genuine love for the church. Unlike Paul, who, who brought the gospel to them when they were sick, and they reciprocated that love in the past, these false teachers are, in, are enthusiastic about the church, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so that you will be enthusiastic about them. In, in other words, these, these false teachers are using the Galatians for selfish ends. Uh, this word for enthusiastic just means zeal for it means to strive after something, so these false teachers are are pursuing the Galatians with a, a seeming affection, a seeming interest, but Paul says their pursuit is uh, not, uh, is uh, not for any good. What does that mean? Um, it means that their motivations are not good they 're not right they 're not proper. their motivation is for themselves you see that in the next verse. Uh, they are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so that you will be enthusiastic about them. I, I think this word, you know, when he talks about isolating them, I think there's sort of two 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 ways you can take it. The false teachers want to isolate them from the truth of the gospel by teaching them this works-based righteousness, but also they're trying to isolate them from Paul, uh, the person who's only ever told them the truth. So, so, the, the false teacher's goal is to cut them off from truth, cut them off from the, a source of truth. And, and why? So that you will be enthusiastic or zealous or strive after them. So so in the end, the motivation of these false teachers is so that the church will make much of them. They're not interested in um, the church loving Christ. They're not interested in them loving truth. They want uh, the, the Galatians to have a zeal for them. And I think it's interesting to, to think here, you know, this is one of the ways you can tell if a, if a teacher is true or false biblically. You know, if, if you're interacting with a teacher and their goal is to make you think, wow, this teacher's so great, or wow, my ministry is so amazing. Uh, that's not the goal of biblical ministry. The goal of biblical ministry is God's glory, to, for the, you to leave and say, God is great, Christ is great. That's not what these false teachers are doing. Their goal is to isolate the church and to make them enthusiastic about them, the false teachers. In Galatians 6.12, we'll get there eventually, Paul actually says uh, that they want to, one of their goals with the false teaching in the Galatian church uh, is to make a boast of the flesh, to make a good showing in the flesh. These false teachers want to show how great they are. Uh, they want the church to recognize how great they are by, by bringing them under the law. And and so the irony of this is Paul's the complete opposite. He has a genuine affection for the church. He tells them the truth, and yet they're listening to these false teachers who all they want is to use the church to make themselves puffed up, uh, to make themselves feel better. The last thing Paul says in this section is, now it is always good to be enthusiastic about good and not just when I am with you. Uh, this, th- there's a couple ways you can take this verse. Um, I think probably the best way to take it is you know, the problem is not that the church is zealous. Uh, The problem is their zeal is misdirected, right? So zeal and passion is not a problem in and of itself, but the problem is the false teachers are trying to get the church to be zealous about them, about themselves, instead of Christ and God's glory. Paul says it's good to be zealous about good. Uh, You just have to direct it towards the right place. Paul himself was zealous for the Galatian church, But his zeal came from a good, honest, biblical motive for them to know and love Christ. Uh, So again, Paul's contrasting himself with the false teachers. The false teachers, they're passionate, they're zealous about themselves. But Paul, he's passionate and zealous to get the truth to this church. And Paul says, uh, you know, it's good to be zealous about good, not just when I am with you. Uh, And that implies that the Galatians, they were perfectly zealous about the right things, about the truth when Paul was with them. But now these false teachers, when Paul's apart from them, they're, they're sort of slipping into uh, the, uh, what the false teachers are uh, teaching. So that's the current state of the Galatian church. Previously, they had a real affection for Paul. They received the truth that Paul was teaching gladly. And now they view Paul as an enemy. They're listening to false teachers and their zeal is being misdirected away from Christ and the truth of the gospel. And that leads us to the last two verses of our passage, which to me are some of the most crucial verses about Christian ministry in the entire Bible. Um, I think it clarifies uh, how the minister should uh, feel towards the congregation. It gives a powerful metaphor for what ministry is like, and then it defines the goal of Christian ministry so clearly that, uh, you know, you can't really doubt it at all. So verses 19 and 20, my children or my little children, I am now suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. So again, Paul is still using affectionate terms for the church. He's not saying, oh, you foolish Galatians, I'm in labor pains. He says, my little children. And this is I think, I, I, I sort of looked at this before I came. I think this is the only time he uses this term in the entire epistle to directly refer to the Galatian church my little children. And this is a term of affection, a caring term. Even when the church was considering Paul his enemy, Paul viewed them still as his children. And, and that's a powerful picture. Um, if, if you're a parent, you know the special, unique love a parent has for their child. And in a spiritual sense, Paul was their father. He was the one who first brought the gospel to them. Uh, And and I think Paul's saying here, uh, is saying more than just remember I'm your spiritual father. He's really bearing his heart to the church. He's saying, I I love you like a parent loves their child. Even though your behavior behavior is rejecting me, rejecting the gospel, I, I still have an intimate affection for you. I care about your soul's. Paul's heart goes out to the church. And that's the heart of every true minister of the gospel. Uh, The false teachers, again, they have no genuine affection for the church. Their affection is to make much of themselves and to use the church to get that end. Paul was the one who honestly and truly cared for the souls of the church. And I think it's important to note here true Christian ministry flows out of love for others. If, if you are serving, or, or discipling, or parenting, if you're preaching, or teaching, or or leading your family out of an idea of, I- I'm doing this so that I can get something out of it, uh, then that's not Christian ministry. True Christian love wants to do good to the other person, regardless of whether it's reciprocated or not. And that's how a true minister should have, should ha- that's the type of love a true minister should have for their congregation, the same type of selfless love that a parent has for their child. And of course, That didn't mean that Paul was soft on the Galatians. We've read that repeatedly. Paul addressed them directly with the truth, and uh, he he clarifies where they're going wrong. But but the idea here is all of that was out of a, a genuine love and concern for the church. Paul's not concerned about himself, he wants to bless the church. And this kind of love is is not easy. You see, Paul uses the metaphor of labor pains uh, as a metaphor for his ministry. I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. Now, if you want a full description of the type of pain Paul's talking about here, go talk to your wife or someone married in the congregation who has a baby. Um, but uh, for, for my, when I was thinking about it, the pain of labor is a type of agony, it seems, at least from when I watched my wife go through it. It, it's suffering, it has a glorious end, you know, your, your child's born, but in the moment it's not a pleasant, enjoyable process. And I think it's a, a very apt metaphor that Paul applies to Christian ministry. Uh, he's not talking about physical agony, he's talking about agony in the ministry. It, Paul's not, like, indifferent towards what the Galatians are going through. He's not kind of bothered by it. He views it as an agony. <laughs> he views it as something that's causing suffering, Remember in 2 Corinthians, you know, you have that great passage where Paul lists out all the different suffering he's gone through. He's flogged, beaten, stoned. But then at the end, he says, in addition to all this, I have a daily concern for all the churches. And that's that's a burden that every elder, every preacher has for the congregation. Uh, A couple months ago, I was having breakfast with Pastor Bill, and he said something on the lines of, I'm always thinking about this church. I'm thinking about this church all the time that type of mental focus on constantly thinking about the congregation, the health of the congregation, that's a type of, uh, of suffering, a type of trial that uh, ministers of the gospel truly have because they, if you truly care about doing good for other people's souls, that's the type of emotional turmoil you're going to have to go through because people are still sinners. The congregation you're serving, they're still sinners. They're going to fall into sin. They're going to backslide. They might uh, betray you. They might go through suffering themselves that you have to go alongside of. You know, there's a temptation to want to go into ministry because you view it as this, this glorious, shiny thing, and it is glorious. Ministry is glorious in the same way that the cross of Christ is glorious. You know, on the cross, Jesus was going through unbearable suffering, and it was glorious because it brought us, and it brought glory to God by saving us from our sins. That's what Christian ministry looks like. It looks like the ministry Christ did, the ministry Paul did, dying daily to yourself, willing to suffer personal loss on behalf of those you're serving. True Christian ministry has a lot in common, Paul's saying, with labor pains. Suffering in the present, yes, but it's yielding something valuable, And Paul says that's what he's going through with the church. He's again suffering labor pains. That word again seems to indicate, you know, he already sort of, uh, he already preached the gospel to them, but now because he's having to re-clarify these things to them, it's like he's going through labor a second time, which does not sound pleasant at all. Finally, the, the question we come to is like, why is Paul suffering all these labor pains? What's the goal? And he says, I'm suffering these labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you that is the only viable goal for christian ministry the sanctification of those you serve sanctification it, 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 especially as it's laid out in this passage is is practical christ likeness it's a christ likeness that's seen in your congregation in the people you're serving paul says he wants christ formed in them he wants the galatians character to match christ's character if you are called to, to ministry, if you're called to be a parent, if you're called to disciple someone else, then the goal you should have in what you're doing is that who you're serving should become more like Christ. Uh, and you see that in all these, um, variety of passages in the New Testament. Husbands are told to love their wives as Christ gave himself for the church that he might sanctify her. Uh, if you're discipling, you're called to instruct them to obey all that Christ commanded and taught. Uh, parents are called to call, bring up their children in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. In all these fears that you might find yourself in, the goal is sanctification. The goal is helping someone else grow in Christ-likeness. likeness If that's not your goal for whatever ministry you're doing, whether it's here or at home, uh, then whatever you're doing, it's not biblical ministry. The goal is not for people to think well of you, uh, for you to be relatable or memorable or see it as smart. Uh, the goal, uh, the, the ministry that glorifies God and exalts Christ as the ministry uh, for Christ's likeness, the sanctification of the people around you. And this verse, I think, helps clarify what Paul is doing in this entire letter. He isn't trying to get the Galatians to like him. He isn't trying to restore their personal relationship, although I'm sure he would like that. What he wants for them is to look more like Christ, and this characterized all of Paul's ministry. He said elsewhere, you know, that his goal was to teach and warn every man so that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And so the question you need to ask of our church, of your family, of the small group you're leading, of the person you're discipling, is am I helping them look more like Christ? Do they love Jesus more? Do they delight in obeying him more? Are they talking about him more? Does Jesus become more important to them than the idols of their heart? I think these are much harder questions than, you know, the typical questions of, you know, did they like what I taught, or did they like the small group, or, you know, how many people showed up to church or my small group. Uh, the, the questions that are, are really insightful and biblical are a lot harder to answer, uh, and since we know that the work of sanctification is never completed in this life, there's always more agonizing to do, always more pouring yourself out to do. Uh, there's always suffering that labor pains on behalf of the other person, but the goal is glorious. The goal is worth it. If you're truly captivated by the value of Christ and the beauty of this gospel, then you will be more than willing to suffer the labor pains of pouring into someone else so that you can see Christ more fully imaged in them. And you'll be more than willing to open yourself up to other people in the body so that you can be poured into, so that you can become more like Christ. I think uh, if you're not willing to go through this type of suffering in Christian ministry, then that, that's a symptom that uh, you don't see the value of Christ-likeness. You don't see the value of Christ being formed in you and someone else the way that Paul sees it. He's willing to write this letter. He's willing to agonize so that the Galatians can return to acknowledge the truth, and that is the heart of every true Christian minister in every true Christian ministry. And so these are the three pieces Paul, Paul lays out for them, you know, that everyone should have in true Christian ministry. You have to have a genuine affection for the person you're serving. You have to be willing to suffer on their behalf and you should have the glorious goal always before you, that you want to see them grow in Christ likeness. That's the type of ministry that glorifies God. And finally, in verse 20, real quickly, he says, I would like to be with you now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. What this is saying is, you know, Paul doesn't relish using this confrontational language. It's not like he's thinking, great, the Galatian church is in heresy. I can't wait to unload on them. No. He wishes he could be with them and just talk with them and help work through things with them. He doesn't relish writing this uh, rather dogmatic letter, but he can't. And he's not going to compromise by letting them go into error. So he does write the letter, and he, he does clarify the truth. And you can see sort of, again, the agony of, this, uh, of the labor pains of ministry when he says, I don't know what to do about you. That doesn't mean that he doesn't know what to write to them to clarify. It's just a way of saying, you know, I'm sort of exasperated by this whole situation. I'm at my wit's end. Um, I don't understand how you could fall so quickly from the true gospel to where you are now. So again, this is sort of like an interesting intermission because he goes back into doctrine in the next lessons. We're going to focus again back on doctrine, but this sort of intermission again clarifies what came before and after. Paul's heart towards the church is to bring them back to Christ, to see Christ formed in them. Uh, he loves the Galatian church. He's hurt by their rejection of him and the, hurt by their rejection of the gospel, and he earnestly desires the church to return to Christ's likeness. And again, for us, the desire of every true Christian minister, or if you're just a normal Christian church member in ministry, or have a family, or discipling someone, your heart should be for the person you're pouring into to grow in Christ-likeness. And obviously, um, an implication is if they don't, it might grieve you. You know, I I think it's important to note real quickly before we go to discussion, we are in a living body, That's what the Bible talks about. If you're in Christ, you're not just a sole Christian who can do whatever you want and doesn't affect anyone. If you're here in this building right now, if you're struggling with sin or you're struggling with something, that has an effect on the body. Uh, and that's the type of ministry we're in. You, you know, I, th- I think sometimes there's a tendency to want to hide and not want to be a bother. You know, I don't want to bother the elders with this other. That's not the Christian church. We're, we're a living body. Uh, we need to be committed to each other, to pour into each other, and be willing to go through the suffering if needed. Uh, that's what it means to covenant with each other. For better or for worse, we are helping each other grow in Christ likeness. And For if you're in ministry, don't be surprised if you're discouraged sometimes. You know, don't be surprised if the person you're pouring into uh, rejects you at some point. You have to entrust yourself to the Lord, just like Paul's doing, and try to correct them, try to help them. But at the end of the day, uh, the labor pains are now the glories later. Have in your mind fixed that vision of Christ being formed in yourself, in the person you're discipling, in this congregation, and if you have that, that vision, if you value that, uh, then you're going to be willing uh, to suffer. You're going to be willing to pour yourself into others regardless of whether they grieve you personally or not. That's the type of ministry we need personally as a congregation, and we need to be praying for this type of ministry for the elders as well as they seek to lead the church. Um, because again, we are in a body and we need to be conformed to Christ. That's the goal of what we're doing.